Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hey Juicy Lemoners, before we start the show, we wanted to remind you to follow and subscribe to us on whichever podcasting app you're listening to. And as always, enjoy the show. Is your favourite fruit smelly and dangerous? This week on Lemon, how did New York Times article about Asian fruit get it so wrong? And is cutting fruit the new love language? Later today on the show, Blackpink is back and breaking records, but is K-pop doing more damage than good? Each week, we dissect the conversation Asian millennials are having. Don't go anywhere because you're listening to Lemon. Welcome to another episode of Lemon. My name is Philip Cooch. And my name is Thomas Tan. And as always, we're going to start the episode today with a little conversation starter. And Tom, I want to know, if you could live forever with only eating rice or noodles, what would it be? Oh, the obvious choice is rice. Because, I say rice because, you know when you have something saucy, right? The rice is so good at like absorbing all the flavours. But if you put like sauce on noodles, it just kind of drills off. I don't know if you feel the same way towards I do. Yeah. I think if, if it's on noodles, it kind of just glides on the noodles, mm. noodle, noodle threads. Mm. It just doesn't... It doesn't soak it. It doesn't soak it. It doesn't do but the same other, for me. But on the other hand, though, like rice, it might soak too much. Because sometimes if you put too much soy sauce, it soaks way too much and it becomes too salty. Nah, it's never that way for me. Um, <laughs> I have to say rice as well. Um, only because if you're going to live forever, right, you want something that's going to be very easy to eat. And I find that noodles, it's a bit more effort requires to eat. Like, uh, you got to slurp it. <laughs> and it gets a bit messy sometimes. We're not shitting on noodle lovers or anything like that, no, but I, I do agree. Actually, have you seen that video where that white guy was eating noodles? He puts the noodles in his mouth and uses scissors just to cut it. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's that's more effort than slurping it. It is. Um, but as always, we've got a very big show this week, so let's get right into it. Let's take a live look now outside. Ladies and gentlemen of America. Ariana Grande licked and spit on the merchant there can be a hundred people in the room. Lady Britney alone. Catch me outside. How about that? Rise and shine. China. 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 The New York Times published an article over the weekend about Thailand's fruit export industry in crisis. In the piece, which was written by their Southeast Asian correspondent Hannah Beach, she compared the resemblance of Rambutan to coronavirus and durian to looking like medieval torture device. Tom, there were so many problematic things about this article, but I want to know what stood out to you about this article. Well, for those who haven't read this article, I strongly, strongly, strongly urge you to read this article. It is an article which is about fruit from Asia. And she, um, Hannah Beach, she talks about the fruits that are very close to home to us and those who are homegrown within the southeast and towards the equator region. She talks about how these fruits are troublesome. They're hard to eat. The labors that gone into these fruit is very difficult to consume and it's more of it's like the effort versus reward thing. So in the article she says things such as, you know, um, 
after eating dragon fruits. It's a bit of a letdown after all. The dazzling package is it's a bland mush with tiny seeds that can require floss or dislodge. She also compares Rambutan to coronavirus. She also says things which is quite strange, like how mangosteen isn't that great if you compare it to another uh, other types of fruits. She said she compared to a plum. A plum? No, yeah. peach. a peach, sorry. A peach. They're not even the same fruit. Not even the same fruit. I'm not sure <laughs> in the same family, but this article, she just goes on and just, she just shits and keeps on shitting and more shitting on Asian fruit. So definitely read it before you get into the discussion with us. But the more you do read into it, the more pissed off I become. And the reason why I got pissed off was number one, like she f- compared Rambutan to coronavirus and I had to stop there for a while. I was like, who is writing this? Who is writing this? I, why would someone compare an Asian fruit to the coronavirus, right? So then I looked her up and Hannah Beach, she is actually half Japanese and half American descent. And you read a little bit of a bio, right? And it says that she's been represented by, you know, the SEA, the Sea Places, blah, blah, blah. She's, she's won like journalism awards. Won journalism awards in 2011. She's done all these incredible things, interviewed people of quite high status and she's lived in Thailand and Asian countries for many years. But why is someone of her caliber dissing Asian fruit? That's the thing, though. I didn't understand this article. When I was reading, I'm like, wait, is this like an Azumato food review? Like <laughs> or a Yelp review? <laughs> a Yelp review? Like, but like, what is it? But then the more I read about it, I'm like, wait, actually, she's trying to report on like the fruit industry um, in Thailand. But she's inserting all these opinions in, in, in like in this article, like it just didn't make sense to me. Like if it was an opinion piece, then I can I maybe have a bit more sympathy about what, she, what she's trying to say. But just like it was, it, it's something that wasn't meant to be a report that, that turned into like a really like. Tell me. like Insult. Be- because <laughs> you, you have a journalism degree. What is she trying to do? I don't get it. Is she, is this an opinion piece or is this, she's trying to say something factual because her facts seem to be very personal for some reason. Okay. So yeah, I do have a journalism degree, but I will preface saying that I, I studied journalism, but I'm not a journalist by any standard, (laughs) but I can tell you, I can tell you from, from my personal opinion and how I felt about this article. And like you said, Tom, it, for me, it all started off with the headline, like mm. by framing it as like like Thai fruit demands serious effort, but it it's only like okay, like it's okay reward by eating it. That that already sets it in the tone of the article of the person reading it. So you're gonna read it and be like, hey, this article is gonna be a negative piece about you know fruits, Asian fruits, and so and the thing that I had issues with this this article was that it was playing to all the stereotypes about Asian people, about like how Asian people like to eat, eat exotic food, although it is dangerous because like she, she I don't know, understand where she, why she's inserting all these things, like how the jackfruit, the way it's harvest is dangerous when it has nothing to do with, with the article itself. Like she, she wants to talk about how, the exports of fruits in Thailand is suffering because of the coronavirus because there's a lot of border closure and stuff like that. But she, yeah, I don't understand, like, why does jackfruit harvesting have to do with any of this? Because mm, if you do read it more, what happens is that she's tried to insert coronavirus and the issue of coronavirus to be related with fruits. Because she states in the article how because of the coronavirus, one of Thailand's biggest export, which is fruits, is going to be facing, you know, a bit of a decline. So... Then she inserts a issue about how a worker is, is battling coronavirus and got hit by a jackfruit at the same time, which doesn't even make sense. Yeah, it just feels like she she's trying to find like 
any correlation between the coronavirus and Asian fruits mm. and trying to put it like I don't know like it's just like I feel like she came into this article with the intention of like writing about the coronavirus and painting a bad picture on Asian people mm. my issue from this from the get-go was she's saying that the coronavirus has impacted Thailand and a lot of Southeast Asian countries economically and being one of Thailand's biggest export fruits, she's saying that now because of this, a lot of them are going to be losing a lot of money. That being said, she then goes on to shit on Asian fruits, which is going to make people who read this who aren't Asian not support Thailand fruit industry, if that makes sense. So it's like she's doing more damage than good. That's true. So yeah. I thought her piece was going to kind of help the Thailand community. You know, okay, the Thailand community's fruit is suffering because of the coronavirus. We should all, you know, go out there and actually try these things. But she's going and saying, don't eat this. It smells like shit. Like, she actually says that durian smells like death. And she's saying, like, oh, it's not even worth your time. Wow, like, how can you even exactly. eat this on your lunch break? Yeah. So how is she supporting an economy that she's lived for so many years? That's such a good point. Like, she's writing, she's reporting about how the Thailand fruit industry is is suffering but here she is saying wow that like you know these exotic asian fruits um are very hard to eat it's requires she calls such it the effort. grapple she calls it the grapple factor so what sorry sorry for cutting you off but for those who don't know what the grapple factor is I, it talks about effort versus reward so like, do you know when you eat a mandarin right if a mandarin has like 50 seeds it's like oh the effort of enjoying that mandarin and then like 50 seeds like it's not even worth it so she so so she's saying that people who are eating durian, jackfruits, because it's so spiky, or rambutan because it's so hairy, or longan because you have to peel it, or just the effort of eating these fruit isn't worth the taste and the flavor. So by saying that, you know, and by then saying how it's so laborious, she's not painting fruit in a good light. And the thing that I don't understand is this lady... She is half Japanese, half American, right? She, of all people, should realize the work that is being put into Japanese food. When you're eating sushi, right, look at how much the craftsmanship, the hands, like the skills you have to learn for so many years to cut fish a specific way so you can have sushi. Like sushi is such a very skillful dish. Mm. And there's a lot of Japanese food out there that takes years and years to learn how to make. But even though she's of Asian descent, I don't understand why she's so stupid. She's so stupid. <laughs> um, but there's a few th- other things that in the article that for me just, just didn't make sense at all. Like, she was going on about all these fruit, how, like, how it's hard to eat. And then out of nowhere, she mentions orangutans. Like, <laughs> like what she says about the orang- orangutans is, she's like, orangutans adore durian. In Indonesia, where expanding palm oil plantations have destroyed the apes' natural habitat, orangutans occasionally raid fruit orchards for, the, for substance. Farmers have responded by shooting them. Mm. <laughs> and I know that her intention here is to paint the picture that by us eating durian, we are also harming orangutans, which everyone loves orangutans, right? It's very emotive here. She's she's trying to make us feel bad for eating durian and make and paint bad picture for Asian people to um who eat durian that they're doing they're, that they're doing harm to orangutans. So she's using durian as a kind of a saying don't eat it because it's harming orangutans. Exactly. What about Nutella? Huh? Doesn't Nutella use palm oil? Exactly. But a lot of these Americans, especially I'm guaranteed that she's eating chocolate and everything that does harm palm oil, that does harm the, um, the flora of orangutans. So where is she coming from? That's the only thing I don't understand. 
this piece is so confusing from the get-go. I don't know what was happening in her mind when she was writing it. And for the audacity for New York Times to read this, obviously it was pro- probably a white person to publish this because they didn't actually understand exactly. the culture of eating yeah. Asian fruits. And that's going on to white people, let's talk about colonialism because in an article they do mention about the kiwi fruit, which, mm. which I think originally from Asia, right? Is that is right? Is it? Yeah. I mean, let me just have a look. She wrote here... Um, yeah, native to China. What? So, what hold on. Heck? So, so what we've done is we just googled the kiwi fruit, which is um, from what we know, we thought that kiwi I thought fruit it came, came from, from, New Zealand. from New Zealand. So actually, so in this article, she does mention about the kiwi fruit, which originated from central China, right? Um, and what happened was kiwi fruit became really popular in Australia and New Zealand, and in America is because Chinese. Like the Chinese people in in China, they changed the name to kiwi fruit, so it looks like it came from like New Zealand. New Zealand. So that what the heck? <laughs> I just learned something brand new today. My I goodness, I, I'm mind blown as well. But let's talk about colonialism because because we actually had a discussion before we read this article about how you know growing up we used to drink bubble tea, but now bubble tea is only cool because all the white people are drinking it now and that it's... Mm, it's been rebranded. Yeah. Back in the day, I remember we had this place called Glen Waverley, which they used to have a bubble tea shop called Bubble Cup. Rest and in peace. They're <laughs> not there anymore, but they were like the only bubble cup place that we had for a lot of Asians that lived in Melbourne. So me and my friends would go there all the time and only of Asian people would go there because it's an Asian, it's an Asian drink that originates... I'm not sure it's either from Taiwan or China, but now the brand... Happy Cup has been rebranded so much. You know, you got Gong Gong Ta, uh, you got Ta Ta, you got what's mm. the one that we saw? Cha Time yep. in shopping centers. People who aren't Asian are drinking it because it's now. I'm not sure if they colonized it or whatever, but the way I've seen these menus change in the shopping centers, like the things that they add in it, is like whoa. Yeah. Well, look at Cha Time. Well, Cha Time is actually a brand that is made for white people. Is it? I don't know if you noticed, but it's very. The whole menu is very westernized. It is very westernized. It's very, it's very boost juice like. Yes. Um, but it may also made me think about K-pop as well because I remember growing up. For me, K-pop was like my guilty pleasure. Like mm. it used to be on my iPod Shuffle in a secret folder, right? And I used to be really embarrassed to let people know that I used to listen to K-pop. And and even when I meet people who aren't Asian and I tell them about K-pop, I almost feel embarrassed talking about it now. Uh, before then, actually, sorry. And now that it's so widely loved by everyone, even like Caucasian people, it's like almost cool that you listen to K-pop now, which is it's just, it's just like, it's so weird that the stuff that we used to be ashamed of when we were younger are now suddenly cool because... Because now that the Caucasian people have learnt about it, it's suddenly, yeah, it's suddenly Acceptable. Cool. Acceptable now. So let's say that we have fruit like durian, right? Or we have fruit which is, sounds very East Asian or very Asian. If, do you think that if we rebrand, rebranded these fruits to another name, do you think that it will become a lot more trendy, a lot more acceptable widespread? That, that Because I remember, do you know the fruit persimmon? Mm. I've never seen it at Safeway or Coles ever before yeah. in my life until a couple of years ago, they started selling it. And I don't know whether or not it's because of the, the adoption of Western society towards persimmon, but I have not seen persimmon being so popular until left a couple of years ago. It's only been sold at an Asian grocery store. Well, we're judging from, what's her name again? Hannah? Hannah's article. Maybe if these fruits were cut up 
for them and like package in a way where they have to peel it and mm. and cut it and stuff. Maybe that's the only way that it'll be, I guess, like accepted by the Western Western world, and then it'll suddenly become cool and and mm. and yummy and easy to eat and and delicious. What do you think this says about, I guess, like the media, like because she is, like you said, she's in a position of power here. Um, her article, what do you think about it? Like, how do, how do, where do you think it went wrong with this article? It Other just, than the stuff that she wrote, of course. It just didn't make sense from the get-go. As in, like, what is her intention? When you write something, when you want to put something out in the world, right? Why? Like, why do you, why do you do that? What do you want to do with this piece? And I still don't know why she wants to, why she put this, especially on a platform which is so powerful, like the New York Times. But there have been a lot of people who respond to this really, really negatively. Like, same with ourselves, that when we're reading this, we feel, sh- like, angry about it. We feel pissed off about it because you're taking something which is part of our culture and you're painting in such a negative light towards people who had known nothing about our culture. And for you to be half Japanese, you're supposed to be representing your culture as well, but you're not doing a good job at it, given the platform that you do have. Yeah. I think the problem here is, she, as a journalist, right... You get taught in school, you you're, you shouldn't you shouldn't be giving your opinion. You should be reporting the facts and, mm, and the news. I right? didn't know that. You should be. That's what that's what a reporter is doing. Unless you're like, unless you're a commentator, then yeah, you'll give your opinion. And in this piece, for me, it was supposed to be a report, um, but yet yet again, you look at it. There's only probably like one line. Um, where she's asked a local person what they thought about it and how what it's like to be, to be in the industry. And the rest is just all her facts, all her opinions about why Asian fruit is so hard to eat. And the other issue I have with this is that it just also talks about the media landscape as well. Because in her bio, it says that she is the Southeast Asia reporter. And she covers 20 different regions. Mm. But she doesn't have necessarily have life experiences or have knowledge on every single culture that happens in this, in, in all those different countries that she covers. Like she, sure. She might be working in Asia for the last 20 years, but doesn't mean that she understands everything about, about Thailand culture or, or Chinese culture or what, whatever, you know, she's very pick and choosy about the, the things that she got her sources from. Exactly. And like, for me, right. My family's from Southeast Asia. I'm from, my family's from Cambodia, which is next door. Um, to Thailand. And for me, the first thing that happened to me when I read this article was if I had written this article, it would have been completely different. Mm. It would have, it would have talked about how eating these quote exotic fruits for me growing up, there were like some of the best moments of my life because whenever we would buy these fruits, it was like a treat. It was like a luxury treat for us. And yeah, it was a bit hard to eat, but my mom or my aunt would peel them for me. They would cut them up for me. And it was like such a nice memory because they were doing these nice things for me. They, were, they went out to go and get these expensive fruits for us to eat. And so I just thought like if, if they had just gotten someone who actually, I guess like live there or, or have a connection to the, you know, to the, mm. to the country, the article would have came out completely different. Absolutely. It just gives that a lot of primary school memories where the white kids will always shit on whatever you're eating because like, you're having leftovers from dinner, right? What are you eating? Ew, it's rice. Ew, what is that? Like, ew, it looks so different. It looks so, so foreign. I'll just sit over here and eat my Lunchables or whatever. But it just brings back a lot of disappointing memories. And 
I'm just really disappointed in her, even though I don't know her. <laughs> Look at her background. It's so sad that she is someone is representing our community for New York Times, which is so stupid. Yeah, and it just goes to show that not every Asian is the same. Like, although you're Asian, doesn't mean you you know everything. Mm. Like, you, you can represent the whole of Asia. So I think it just highlights to every single person out there, every single organization that just just by having an Asian person in your in in your organization doesn't mean that you're done with diversity. Hundred percent. You need to go further. You need to to hire more people from diverse backgrounds in Asia and in other countries. Okay. <laughs> that's just that's me telling them off <laughs> but guys we would like to know what you guys think we'll drop this article in the show notes so have a read and head over to our Instagram and Facebook page and let us know what you think there'll be more lemon coming up soon but first here's a few words from today's sponsors All right, so I want to talk about this next article because not only it is about a, fruit, it is about fruit, <laughs> and it's a great contrast to what we spoke about in the last segment, and it's also something that we can also relate to. In a piece titled "Love in the Shape of a Cut Fruit," Connie Wang wrote beautifully about how she realized after growing up that cutting fruit was her parents' love language. Mm. She explained that her parents were never the words of affirmation type, but they always put in the time and effort to peel and cut fruits like grapes, apples, mangoes, dragon fruit, durian, all the fruits that we mentioned in the last segment. (laughs) She explained that cutting fruit was like love. It doesn't take much to serve, but it was patience and practice, and it was the willingness to swallow some bitterness that someone else could enjoy the sweetness. Tom, what fruits do you remember eating growing up? Oh, I had so many fruit. My favorite fruit growing up was probably rambutan. And I think it was a growing... Excuse me, be careful, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> even though it looks like a structure of the coronavirus, which you shouldn't even compare, the fruit and this is the juiciness of rambutan oh, and lychee, it just brings out so many memories of me when I was growing up in Malaysia of how different and different in a great way that you couldn't get this back home in Australia and this it was so much sweeter than any fruit that I've had in Australia back in Melbourne maybe it's because it's grown near the equator or the soil is that good but the foods that I love growing up was probably like those and durian I love durian I love the smell of durian did you was your mom the type to cut fruits for you and bring oh it definitely to so much <laughs> She would, especially during the exam period, um, she would come in with like, you know, cut up apple, peach, persimmon. She used to buy a lot, but not now, not much anymore. But she used to buy a lot of these, like, what's apple custard? What's another name for apple custard? That's the westernized name. What's Actually, what is the what is the original name for apple custard? Apple custard? I don't know. <laughs> Soursop. Oh, that's what it is. I had to Google that one. Where did that come from? Soursop, it says it is a fruit which originated from tropical Americas to West Indies. And the Spanish traders is the one that brought it to Asia many, many, many years ago. I used to love eating that a lot. And I remember that my mom used to always put it in rice if it's not ripe yet. Does your mom ever put like fruit? Yeah. I remember eating um, mango with rice a lot. Oh. Yeah. And the other fruits that I remember my mom cutting up... Uh, strawberries so she would always like cut up like di- like cut dice them up into what did she root the seeds on every single strawberry no, too no, 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 no. So, so she'd <laughs> dice them up and then she'd coat them in um sugar and a bit of water uh, so it becomes like sweetened do you know what i noticed about your family i've never realized this until i met you but you guys eat a lot of fruit with sugar uh, fish sauce um salt chili and that was actually quite new to me and i actually never 
tried any of these fruit, especially the the sour mangoes, until like I met you. Yeah, my mom. Well, our family we love to add salt to everything. So adding salt to oranges was like oh so good. Adding salt to apple was really good. Um, eating um, green mango with um, salt and fish sauce is really good. Uh, what else do we eat with? That's a lot of sodium oh, levels. pineapple. We eat pineapple with salt. That's so good too. And oh. a bit of um, oh yes, yes, chili salt as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that this article did remind me of my childhood about how my mum used to cut up different fruits. But Tom, I want to know what did you think about this article? It did bring back a lot, and it reaffirmed reaffirmed the love languages that our parents would use. It is very hard for, I guess, Asian parents to kind of say, I love you. And I don't know why. Maybe it's the way they've been brought up and maybe they see love in a very different way. But this person, Connie Wang, explains how after she grew up, after she went to college, that the love language of cutting fruit is actually a lot more than we realized. So when my mom would cut fruit for me when I was younger growing up, I didn't, I just thought, oh, fruit, fruit, fruit. Like she probably just wants me to eat healthy. But again, you grow older and you realize that cutting fruit isn't easy. There is an art to cutting fruit and cutting fruit the right way so you don't waste any flesh. And it made me remind, it reminded me a lot of the time that my mom used to cut me mango. She'd always do, you know, the the checkered four things, the checkered crosses on your mangoes, but she would always eat the seed. And I realize now there's a lot of flesh on seeds. Like a lot of the meat is actually on the other parts, but she would be like, no, 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 you eat, you eat same. the other stuff. I would eat the flesh and she just eats the leftovers. And it made me realize that the reason why she's doing that is because she's putting us first. By them giving us the best piece of the mangoes, the best piece of fruit, she, our parents would in a way, say, you guys deserve this. I'm not going to have the best parts. Yeah. Actually, I was actually just thinking that too. On a really philosophical philosophical, philosophical level, I was actually thinking about, you know, the like, like you said, the analogy of cutting fruit and perfecting it so that we can enjoy it, so that our parents, our parents can cut it up and for us to enjoy it. It's just like how they moved from their country and gave up so much of their life to come start a new life here for us and all the sacrifices that, that they had to do to, to get here and get us through through uni, through high school and, and to who how we are today. And they just kind of like made me think of that. Mm, and it's just like it brings it back to the food analogy. Whenever we go out to eat, right, we always leave the last piece for somebody else. We don't want to take it because we want other people to have – things better than we do. That's the Asian culture. And then on the contrast side, you have people like Jock on MasterChef, who's a judge. When he's cutting the dessert off the plate, he cuts two small pieces and one really big piece and he gives Andy and Melissa the smaller piece and he takes a bigger <laughs> piece. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm just... Well, in his defense, food does look good though. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't sit well with me coming from an Asian culture. That's why when Connie speaks about the love of fruit and parents taking the smaller flesh the smaller things for themselves and giving their kids the bigger things you know it's a lot obviously it's a lot more about fruit and it's a lot more of a metaphor but it's actually thing that's it happen but it just talks about how our parents did so much for us for us to live in such a privileged place see okay the reason why i did want to include this article this segment not only because it was about fruit but also because this just shows this just shows how if you have someone with a connection to the culture that they're reporting in, how an article can turn out very differently. Mm. And so I thought it was very important that we included this segment in today. It was very sweet. It was sweet. <laughs> I see what you were there. <laughs> I just... Whereas, um, what was her name again? The other lady's name? Beach. 
Hannah Beach. Is her name Hannah? Miss Beach, yes. Miss Beach. Her article's very sour. (laughs) (laughs) Very off. Very off. Very expired. An expired mentality she has. She does. Um, But we want to know what you guys... Your experiences were, what what fruits do you remember your parents cutting up for you? Go head over to our Facebook page and let us know there. I don't know about you, Tom, but I've been literally counting down the days for Blackpink to make a comeback. And as of last night, we're recording this on a Saturday, and last night Blackpink has finally made their comeback. And... I am, like, over the moon, of course, and, like, fangirling over all the members and their outfits and everything. How do you... Have have you been excited as me over this comeback? Not really, to be honest. Even though I am a big fan of Blackpink, I don't... I wasn't excited as you were. You're like, you were... One more minute. Oh, my God. But then for me, when I watched it and I listened to the song... It's maybe it's because I have a lot of high expectations, and for them to have a year to prepare for this drop, I expected a bit more. Mm, what what was what did you expect more from? Like, was it the music just a, video? Just a better song, a better song in general. And when I listened to it, I just felt a little bit oh, like it's like I was just I was just expecting a lot more for them, like a better song in general. But after listening to it a couple of times, I still stand corrected. Well, I'm the opposite. I love it. It was like sassy. It gave me like four minute vibes, like, you know, the crazy mm, and, and I does. hate you yep, vibe. Yep, yep. I was living. Like, I love all the looks in there. I love the set. Oh my God, the sets are incredible. Um, it's breaking records everywhere. Everywhere. We're recording on a Saturday now and the video has almost 70 million views and there's a few hours left. I'm pretty sure they're going to get like break the record for so. the most streamed um, video in 24 hours. But oh my God, I can't believe BTS released something on the same day too. If BTS fans were helping Blackpink fans, they definitely could have reached like 100 million in 24 hours. Yeah, well, there's a bit of a fandom war happening. <laughs> but Tom, going back into the topic, I do want to ask, you know, K-pop... I feel like the last year or so, K-pop has gone to a different level now. Like we're seeing, you know, these K-pop bands perform Jimmy Kimmel on all the late night talk shows. Like collabing with big Western yeah, artists. like Lady Gaga and Dua Lipa. And, you know, BTS even reached number one on the Billboard charts mm. and have a number one album. Like K-pop is just so celebrated right now. But I want to know, like, do you think K-pop is doing more harm than good for, for like the Asian community? I think that K-pop is actually doing good, even they are Korean. And even if they're not, let's say, let's say Thailand people, Chinese people, um, Japanese people aren't being celebrated and Korean are having their... I'm pretty happy. I'm actually generally happy that Koreans are having their moments because even though if it's just Koreans doing their thing and they're making these waves, at least it does shine a little bit of light on other Asian communities too. And it does signify and it kind of shows that, you know, Asian people can, can do it. That's so true. And I, and I love seeing how now that I guess like K-pop's having a moment, when, when it comes to Hollywood, they are casting more Asians, which is, mm. which is great. The only issue I have here is that the Asians that they're casting is they're casting Korean people or Korean actors and actresses, which is fine. I'm happy for them to do that. But it's also like they're only casting Korean actors and actresses because they know that k-pop is popular and that mm. and that people are used to seeing i guess like korean people on tv and, and korean 
um, families on TV. But what about like the other Asian families? Like what about Cambodian families or mm. Thailand families or Vietnamese family? Like where is the diversity in that? Because mm. I can uh, just from the top of my head, I can think of so many Korean characters like the girl from Pitch Perfect, the silent one. Mm. Um, the girl from To All the Boys I Loved Before, her family was Korean. Um, what was another example? There's a, a, the one who played a doctor in a massive Marvel movie. Yes. But do you think it's K-pop, that, K-pop that's been problematic? I don't think it's K-pop. K-pop itself is not problematic, mm. but I think it's the Western media in general. They're mm. just like saying, wow, K-pop is having its moment. Korea is loved by everyone around the world. Let's just put Korean people in the, sh- in the movie or in the show. So we should be mad at Hollywood and American industries and Western industries and not K-pop, right? Okay, maybe we phrased that question wrong. Mm. But yeah, I do, I do think that. I think that even though Koreans are having a moment, which is absolutely amazing, it's Hollywood that we should be pissed off at. It's um, the Western media that's only selectively only hiring Korean people that we should be pissed off at. It's great that Korean is having a moment and we should 100% fully, fully support them. The only issue that I have is with the K-pop movement itself is the way they glorify Western features. Um, Korean beauty care has been one of the top the top beauty cares in the world right now. It's huge. And the amount of plastic surgery that goes on, not with Blackpink, not in that in particular, but a lot of the things that go on behind closed doors in Korean culture, plastic surgery, that parents would give their gifts to their children to have plastic, yeah. to have double eyelid surgery, have nose jobs, and for them to so openly sell whitening beauty products for people with darker skin tones. And that's the problem I have. And for K-pop to glorify people who look like that, and I get it, people may be more prettier if they have fairer skin or taller nose or a Western feature, but look at all the millions of people, the young girls, the young boys who are idolizing these K-pop people. That's the issue I have. That's the issue I have. Yeah. I think on the flip side of what you said also, uh, I love how, K-beauty is also challenging the Western perception of beauty. Like, for example, K-pop boy bands, they all wear makeup, eyeliner, stuff like that. And by them doing that on, I guess, like on Jimmy Kimmel, like BTS wearing makeup and stuff, now it's more acceptable and for guys to wear makeup. And I think that's great. Like, if guys want to wear makeup, they shouldn't feel ashamed to do so. 100%. And I love that K-pop is doing that. Um, but on, on another discussion that I did want to have was... I don't remember if you you remember much growing up, but for me growing up, I remember when J-pop and like Japanese culture was really being celebrated, people would always, like my mom's friends would always, always tell me like, oh, wow, you look so Japanese and like you look like a J-pop idol. Mm. And that was like the highest form of a compliment Korean, you can get as an Asian. Looking like Korean or Japanese, yeah. And right now it's the same for K-pop. 100 the same thing. If it's, you get, if someone says to you, you look like, you look like, you look Korean. People really? feel so. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Whereas if someone said that you look like, you know, if you look Cambodian, Cambodian Filipino, Filipino, people are like, oh, I can't believe you just Viet. thought that of me. Yeah, exactly. And that's the issue I have with K-pop. And if this was in the American industry, do you know how many shit that black artists would say will get? For, you know, if even the mention of bleaching their skin, they will get so much hate. But it's happening right now in the Asian culture. You know, these Asian celebrities, these Korean celebrities are whitening their skin, maybe using it not bleach per se, but using other products to do this. I think, you know, I think we start off this segment saying that we shouldn't blame K-pop and that we should blame Hollywood. But actually, now that we talk more and more about it, I think that K-pop also has a responsibility here. Mm. You know, 
like you said, in K-pop, they glorify having fairer skin. Mm, like, and they take cultures which belong to black people, which originated from black culture, glorifying it. And then when the important time does come, for example, hashtag Black Lives Matter, they don't say a single word. And it's yet that it's, I mean, not saying that, you know, one is better than the other. Both are at fault here, but they, K-pop does hold responsibility, like you're saying, they need to do better. They need to represent their people better. Look at Lisa, for example. She's Thailand, like she's from Thai, she's from Thailand, her parents, she's from a Thailand background. Yet when they put her on a show, like Jimmy Kimmel, they're all wearing their Korean culture uniforms, you know. I was thinking, why don't they just, you know, let Lisa, let her, wear. Let Lisa wear a Thai, a Thai costume? But yet, they don't. Like, if you look at K-pop, though, like, K-pop has tried, to be fair, K-pop has tried to cast an Indian K-pop star or, like, a, you know, K-pop stars who weren't, who weren't born in, in, in K-pop, like, in Korea, like, born in other countries, like the Philippines and stuff. But all these K-pop bands who had those members they never really succeeded because the Korean public has never been really accepting of them. And, K-pop, to, and K-pop fans have never been accepted by, accepted by, the, by them. You have to, quote, be good for... You have to be good for like for you have to be good for a particular race if that makes sense. You have to you have to have the K-pop look. That's you have what, to, that's what the you have is. to look. Even though, for example, Lisa, right? Even though she's from Thailand, her background, her racial background is she's from Thailand. She, you have to look better than a lot of the Korean stars. You have to look probably the best of best. It yeah. reminds me of that girl from SNSD who said to Alicia Keys, you look good for a black person. Who said that? I think it was, I think it was Taeyeon. She said to Alicia, Alicia Keys, you look good. You look good for a black person. Like she's really, she said, quote, for a black person, she's really pretty. In order for you to succeed in the Korean culture, regardless of what racial combat, you have to be that good for your particular race. I just want to make it clear. We're not shitting on K-pop here. We're not. Like, we love K-pop. I love K-pop. And if you know me... He, he does. Like, hello, you had a what? A... I had a website called Hello K-pop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do love I do love K-pop a lot. But I'm just saying that I think K-pop fans also have to be very accepting. It's because I guess K-pop is just responding to what fans want. Mm. And so whenever we do have diversity in K-pop... K-pop fans are very fast to point out that wow, why are they doing K-pop? Like they don't, they're not K-pop. This doesn't make make it K-pop. So I think as fans of K-pop, we all need to be accepting when you know these labels do make diversity and create diversity in K-pop because at the end of the day, it benefits all of us by having diversity in K-pop because K-pop is having a moment right now in mainstream media in the Western world. And if we can showcase diversity in K-pop, then then that would benefit all of us. And if you look at the actual people who listen to K-pop, not a lot of them are Korean. A lot of them, I can guarantee, even my friend who's one of my great friends who's from Korea, she says not a lot of Koreans listen to K-pop, and that's the truth. The only people that like K-pop are people who are outside of Korea. It's like Lisa. Lisa, our friend Lisa, is Korean. She doesn't listen to (laughs) K-pop. But yeah, and also on the flip side, Hollywood does need to do better by not just casting Korean people because although K-pop is having its moment... There are also other countries in Asia that that is different from Korea, and I don't want it to come to a point where everyone that is not Asian thinks that Korea equals wait Korea equals Asia. Do you mm, know what I mean? Because like Chinese equals Asia, exactly. And I just don't want to come to that point there. Yeah. Well, we want to know what you guys think, so head over to our Facebook page or our Instagram page and leave us a comment there. Well, I think that's all we have time for for today. 
<laughs> you sound a bit like Moira. Today. Today. <laughs> if you, that's a Shit's Creek reference. If you haven't seen it, please go and watch it. But thank you to all you bebes for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say hello to all the new bebes who have tuned in this week because we've had so many new messages from all the new bebes. Hello to all our <laughs> new fans and our juicy lemonists. As always, if you enjoy the show, please make sure that you have subscribed to us on wherever you listen to this podcast. Go and leave us a very nice review so that we know what you think about the show. And as always, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye, babies. Bye. <laughs>